I mean, it's it's been a huge paradigm shift for me, and it and it happened over years. I didn't grow up in the church, uh, so I didn't have a framework of like even how to approach the Bible when I became a Christian in my early twenties. So I kind of I got baptized in the Southern Baptist Church in the Belt Buckle in Denmark, Arkansas, and um, just kind of jumped into Sunday school, you know, and and these ways of approaching Scripture. Um, more like you could just pull a verse for your, you know, a code, code verse for your life and that kind of thing. Um, I just did what everyone else was doing. And then as I grew in my faith, I uh, started studying more. I got really interested in theology and different things. I went to seminary and stuff. I, I just started learning things about how history and archaeology and scripture and all these things can kind of come together to paint the narrative of God's people and the story of God in scripture. And for a lot of people, it, it gives them a real disruption uh, or a disorientation to their faith, I think. Uh, but for me, it was real freeing because I saw all these things in Scripture that didn't make sense. And so um, it actually released the Bible to be what I think um, God wants it to be. You know, this sounds a little arrogant, but um, for me, anyway.
Well, I, I mean, we. I think if we don't understand the historical context, then we're just coming. We're we're normalizing it to our frame of reference, and um, I mean, think about doing that with any history book or any book that teaches you something that was written in the 1600s or 1700s, even even a more modern time period. Um, if you just take that and normalize it to your time, then you're maybe not taking into account the audience that it was written to, what the author was trying to say, you know, and, and other aspects of it. Yeah, so I mean, this is something we use um, at Fuller um, in, a, in a class I help teach, and because we talk about we're, we're talking about the biblical theology of mission, so we're looking at the thread of scripture, um, mission in scripture, and. Um, and so this just says it, the information about a period, place, and the events that created, influenced, or formed the backdrop of the resource you're engaging in, in this case being the Bible. So it's all the things that are kind of forming the backdrop of, of the resource that you're looking at. So rather than just reading the words on the page, it's kind of looking behind the words like Caitlin said, the politics and the culture and the, you know, the things that were happening um, when that was written. Well, we may get some things right. I mean, I, I mean, I think there's some truths in Scripture that kind of stand on their own, no matter what the historical context. But then, when we, I mean, think about slavery in the Bible. You know, if you if you don't, if you didn't look behind the words, you would just think, oh, the, the Bible was pro-slavery, and and it's not. Uh, so you have to understand the culture and the things that were um, going on behind that text. I've got a couple of funny examples of, of that. Um, so these these are um, well. So there's a law in Arizona, 
it's illegal for donkeys to sleep in a bathtub. So now if you just, and it's on the books, and if you just read that, uh, yeah, yeah, and I mean it would it might it would appear strange or whatever, but there was it was a law passed in 1924, and there was a dam that broke and it flooded a rancher's property uh, in his home, and there was a donkey that was asleep in the bathtub, and so they passed this law, um, and so there's there's a reason behind the weird thing that's still on the books, and here's one closer to home. So in Cripple Creek which uh, we've, a lot of us have been to Cripple Creek, it is illegal to bring your horse or pack mule above the ground floor of any building. Yeah. So, you know, why is that on the books? Um, well, think back to Cripple Creek being a mining town, right? And obviously those were kind of wooden, more rickety type buildings, and maybe some of those miners love their pack mule so much, right? or their donkey, they take them up to the room, they just fall through the floor. So so there was a law in the book. So, I mean, the point, those are funny but um, and ridiculous, they're still in the books, but I mean, the point is that sometimes we don't realize the point of something that was written kind of long ago until we know the story behind it. So... Um, or the why behind it. And so especially the hard passages in Scripture, which we've all encountered those, um, you know, you can't just read the English in, in the NIV or your favorite version and say, okay, you know, the Bible says it, and so I'm just going to do it. You, you actually have to understand the story behind it. So I'm going to blow your mind again. Okay. All right. So this is actually Dan Kimball, a um, friend of mine. He, he said in a recent book, which is a good resource, um, the Bible was written for us, but not written to us. Yeah. And, and, and it's worth kind of marinating on that. You're kind of th- I mean, we don't have time to just sit here on a podcast, but I mean, I, anyone watching this is like hit pause or write that down and, and, and sit sit with that uh, phrase, you know, because after I read that uh, in his latest book, I, I really did. I wrote it down. It was in my car, and I, would just, I was just kind of thinking about it a lot, you know. Uh, but when something's written for you, but not, not necessarily directed at you, it, ha- it has a totally different... There's a um, this, there's a story about the Dead Sea Scrolls um, that I think is real interesting when you're thinking about that. And a lot of people have heard about the Dead Sea Scrolls. I, I'd encourage anyone to pick up some you know books about that, history books and stuff, and read about it. But um, they, there's a cave they found the most scrolls in, 
and there was a jar in there, and, you know, there weren't Bibles. Like, they didn't have stuff on shelves. These were all scrolls, like, stuffed in jars and sitting around. And um, so there was a jar, and it had four manuscripts of Jeremiah in there. And what they discovered was um, all four of these were different versions of Jeremiah. They were missing different pieces of it or had other stuff added or they were in a different order. And so these scenes that were um, thought to be, um, I mean, they, they felt like the scriptures and keeping spiritual writings were super important. Um, like it was a high value to them. For some reason, they felt like all four of those were worth keeping. Now why, you know, why would they not just say, well, this is the true Jeremiah, these are not, and throw it out, throw the others out, which is kind of an approach we would take uh, today or we would debate. And so when you think about things being written to a particular audience, even that audience kept different versions of the same book that we read in Scripture um, because of the value of, of what it was trying to say, um, not the historical component of it. Does that make sense? So the historical co component would be what's the right order to put it in. The va their value was what is this theology and this, this um, prophetic imagery say as we follow God? But I mean, but I do think there's, um, I mean, I, yes, and but I think there's, there's this um, fantastic realization that we're part of the story of God, 
also. And so when we go back and look at Scripture and we we do a historical, we put it with a historical lens with it, then we realize that we're like this continuation of the people of God journeying in this mission of redemption, you know, for the whole world and this thing that God's doing and we participate with him. Um, in this class, you know, where that definition came from, um, my original mentor, I took this class uh, from him, he would say, you can't read five chapters of scripture um, sequentially without seeing the people of God and God's heart for the nations. So this kind of this kind of movement of people and the mission of God. And so there was an assignment where they would go through and look at five chapters and, you know, and sure enough, I mean, there's, there's two or three places that, that were found eventually, but uh, pretty much the whole story of God is this movement. And so I think, you know, when Revelation, don't think of it as like, well, that's where it stopped for me, and now I'm just like picking up the codes out of the Bible to just live good, live a better life, or try to follow Jesus. You're part of that continuing story of God, you know. So, There's a um, there was a book I read a while a while back, um, and it would it was talking about um, how things shifted in the Reformation, and, and think about it in the Reformation is um, you know when a lot of people kind of discover they start discovering oh so I can read scripture and interpret it myself and kind of get the story. Um, on my own terms without a priest, you know, and, um, and then enters the printing press and uh, the modern age and, the, you know, sciences and the way we start thinking about uh, the world and our worldview. And there's a historical kind of curiosity and consciousness that begins then that, that scholars don't, or, and archaeologists don't see before that. And so you start seeing people really studying history. And uh, the Bible gets read that way as well. So that's kind of maybe um, during that long few hundred years span is when you start seeing the Bible being questioned for its historical accuracy. So was it, you know, so was creation six days or, or is each day a thousand years or, you know, you've heard all the different ways of reading that. So those weren't questions. Um, biblical scholars will say that's not how um, Hebrews read Genesis 1. Uh, for them, it wasn't about, well, was it six days or was it six thousand years? For them, it was what does this say about God 
in his creativity and our origin story. You know, they, they ask totally different questions. And so in this book, you know, um, he would propose that a Hebraic writer of Scripture, if you ask them, so is it history or is it theology? Their answer would be, well, yes. You know, there's, there is a historical component, but I'm not trying to get the dates perfectly right. It's not, a, it's not a timeline kind of thing. I'm trying to get the story across and, and what we need to know as the people of God and, and record that. So you can't dismiss the history right of scripture but um now i read the bible and i'm primarily asking what is the writer trying to say to the people that was being written to and then what does that say about a journey you know I mean, think about the gospel. Just take the gospels. Uh, just take um, and look at them, and think about the tension that comes if you try to build a timeline. I mean, there, a lot of people may have engaged a synoptic gospel, where where those gospels are they try to weave them together, um, and it becomes really, really difficult. Like, is this the same? thing that happened is the same thing in Matthew, the same thing that happened in Mark, or maybe Mark was written first, and then, you know, John took from Mark, and um, all these different things, but if you, if you let go of the timeline concept as your initial approach, and just say, what, what's the text trying to say to me spiritually, you know, or about my journey, that stuff, it becomes a freedom to just kind of say, oh, well, this writer was trying to communicate this and this was trying to communicate this. You know, they had a particular audience that they were writing to, you know. I, um, um, you know, one of the things I like to think about now are the, the passages and the texts that are added later, which can be, can sound heretical and it can really shake people up. Um, I know even recently Susie uh, kind of talked about one on a Sunday morning, um, but I mean, the reading the Bible this way, um, it allows for those things um, to not kind of disrupt 
the holiness of Scripture, you know, and the fact that it was still inspired by God. I mean, there's there's all kinds of examples in Scripture. I mean, we know Moses probably didn't write about his own death. I mean, surely that was added a little bit later by someone else, you know. And so, you know, because, you know, it's kind of a lot of people think, well, Moses wrote the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Well, he didn't write about his own death. So who wrote about that and when was it added? So, you know, and there's, you know, there's two chapters in Exodus, I think it's 13 and 14. And uh, one biblical scholar I was listening to, he said, um, and he's like a Hebrew scholar, he said, the type of Hebrew um, that those are written in um, is like the difference between Shakespearean English and what we speak today. And so those those chapters were interwoven by, you know, someone uh, inspired by God to do those things. And so that doesn't shake me up, those kinds of things. Um because I've kind of let go of the view that, you know, God's hand reached down out of heaven and grabbed the writer's hand and was doing this, you know, but was more inspiring and moving writers to write certain things. Sure. Jewish readers always did it in community, and they did it in debate, in discussion. I mean, they never, Jew, Jewish community didn't get together and say, okay, let's decide on one way to interpret this, you know, the orthodox way to do this or, or interpret it. No, the wrestling was part of the journey and the beauty of it. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the other danger. You were talking about dangers earlier on. It's like, you know, you sit down and just start reading it by yourself. All of a sudden, you you know, you develop all these um, inconsistencies probably in the way you're seeing it. But if you're sitting in a community, you know, it becomes so much more alive. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank you. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think of several things. I mean, that that phrase that you liked came out of um, a book by Dan Campbell, um, "How How Not to Read the Bible," which is an interesting title. Um, but he takes on kind of problem state, problem scriptures, and things that people wrestle with in the Bible. That's really good. Um, I mean, Google's a good tool because um, really you can find a lot, out a lot about history. Just don't, you know, don't go to Google and start looking for interpretations. Go to Google and start looking for the history of the time period or, you know, tell me about baptisms and, you know, during first century, you know, Jerusalem, that kind of thing. There's a whole series of books out there. They take on all kinds of different titles, but, you know, it's kind of like um, reading the Bible with Middle Eastern eyes. That's one of them. Uh, or how not to read the Bible with Western eyes, you know. Um, and so different authors have kind of done treatments of how to approach Scripture um, contextually. And then one I, I thought of that was really helpful to me in seminary, it's a little more of a class or academic book, but it's just called The History of Israel. And it's a white book, it's just got letters on it, The History of Israel. And it gives this uh, contextual timeline of Israel and weaves some of scripture with it so that you can kind of see what's going on. Caitlin mentioned the chronological, reading it chronologically. I mean, pick up a chronological Bible and read it, and it'll, it will blow your mind, you know, because you, then you realize, oh, First and Second Chronicles, which aren't First and Second Chronicles in the Hebrew Old Testament, but, um, and the kings, oh, it's the same story. It's just, you know, different approaches to the same story. And because you'll see, you'll start seeing chapters like interwoven together and it's like, what is going on? I don't know if that was your experience. It's like, what is going on here? But you, all of a sudden you get this storyline, you know, of, of Israel. Yeah.